0: Welcome to a special edition of Innovations in Education, eSchool Media's podcast on the latest and greatest in both K-12 and higher ed tech. I'm Kevin Hogan, content director for both eSchool News and eCampus News, and I'm glad you found us. Now, drop the company name Instructure on the average educator, and you more than likely will get a blank stare in return. Now mention Instructure's flagship product, Canvas, and you will get a flash of instant recognition. Founded in 2008, Instructure reports having more than 6,000 customer organizations with more than 35 million users around the world in both K-12 and higher ed. I had the opportunity to attend InstructureCon 23, the company's first user conference since the pandemic, and meet many educators, partner companies, as well as instructors, senior leadership. That includes Chief Product Officer, Shirin Vijasingham, Ryan Lufkin, Vice President of Global Strategy, and CEO, Steve Daly. We hit on a number of topics that will affect the way educators and students teach and learn, including post-pandemic behaviors, student security, the pursuit of equitability in education, the future of hybrid learning, and of course, AI, AI, and yes, a little more AI. It was the first innovations podcast recorded in person, but certainly won't be the last. First up, Shireen on the rise of collaboration tools and other innovations that have come about in the wake of COVID 19. Have a listen. First in structure conversation. Very excited to be here. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time to join me today.
1: Absolutely. It's been my pleasure.
0: Um, let's jump right into the weeds. Let's get this started in terms of Instructure and sort of the work you're doing and the state of play that you see the company in now and where you might see it going as we enter our, hopefully our endemic or uh, out of the pandemic.
1: That's right. Yeah, I I love that. So I think, you know, really important for us to start with is how we have approached uh, what we're doing here at Instructure. And so one of the things that's always grounded us is the fact that we've done this in partnership with our institutional customers, right? We've We've worked closely with them to co-create, to innovate. And that's always been true in the, uh, the ethos of the products that we've built. And so you see that as we think about sort of the the journey we've had and the journey we're, we're taking next, that's embedded all the way through, right? We, we build our products in partnership with our customers. We give them an opportunity to beta those experiences, uh, and bring them to life. So that when you see them, right, you're going to see some reveals in a couple of days at our, our big conference here, you'll know that those are things that we've done in partnership with our customers. And then that's been something that's really important to us because focusing on our institutions, focusing on our educators and our learners has helped us build the great products that we've built today.
0: So, you know, and I have to say, you know, not necessarily being a cheerleader of the industry, but someone who's like enthused about the technology itself and looking at Instructure and looking at the years, what I call BP before the pandemic, yeah. your work and the work of the company and your partners basically saved whatever we want to call what education was the past three years. I've had conversations where people said, you know, if COVID had happened ten years before, we wouldn't have had the bandwidth and we wouldn't have had the tools. Yeah. Now writing about ed tech between 2010 and 2020, a lot of my conversations were around teacher resistance mm. to not only using technology, but to data, to using video. Uh, video was one thing, especially when it came to like professional development. They're like, forget it. You're not turning those cameras on. COVID arrives, now everybody's on a camera. I mean, there's some been some major developments, if not necessarily the, the technology, but user behavior. Can you talk a little bit about your experience and, and watching what was I guess the greatest beta test in in ed tech
1: history. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, I certainly think the last five years has seen seismic shifts in education. We've had the benefit of even, you know, sort of the BP pre-pandemic time, right? We've had the benefit of building our products with educators first. And so one of the things that we've really enjoyed is uh, great distribution and great adoption with the institutions and the educators we've worked with and the reason Uh, We haven't seen so much of the resistance that you might uh, describe is because, you know, when you're building something with educators for them, you tend to get a lot of uh, love and support in the products that you've built. And I think that that gave us really good ground upon which to build right as we entered, you know, those those dark years of uh, the 2000 early 2020s in the pandemic, because we had established ourselves as a product that was being built for educators to be used. Uh, and it was easy to use and it, and it put learning first, right? And so adopting these tools uh, certainly became a lot easier. Now, obviously there is a plethora of tools out there. In fact, uh, we just published our EdTech Top 40 report and it shows that in the average school district on a school year, there are more than 2,500 tools being used, right? And so uh, part of what we've done as an organization is work really closely with our partners to make sure that the implementation, the use of these tools, is, is first and foremost, centered on the learning and is easy, it's implemented deeply within our platform, the Instructure Learning Platform, and it makes it really easy. So even for those for whom uh, technology may have not been their comfort zone, yeah. I think being able to, to be forced into it by circumstances made it a little bit easier when the tools that they were using were intuitive and, and organically easy to use. And I think it's certainly sparked, you know, that usage uh, has sparked a shift in how education is being delivered today. Multiple modalities is the norm. I think because there are so many tools, I think understanding what is working uh, and looking at the data becomes really important, right? And I think there's also a little bit of sort of a need, right? To sort of understand of this plethora of tools, how do we manage the sprawl of tools and how do we think about figuring out which ones are best tuned to which learner at which point in time? And I think we've played an important role in working with our partners to get to that place.
0: One of the things that I've noticed while we watched this beta test occur, was for the first time, parents becoming more involved in the dynamic of the learning process. Now having written about ed tech for 15 years, it was the student, the faculty member, maybe an administrator involved, less than a handful of times where it was talking about the parent. Again, we get into the pandemic, every parent now a teaching, or a teaching assistant and, and
1: who was in there. Has that changed any of the
0: dynamics
1: for your work? Yeah, it's a great question. We, you know, we've always talked about, if you focus on the learner first, you'll understand all of the stakeholders and all of the participants in helping that learner be successful and parents are one stakeholder group, like many others. We've always had a parent app with our product because we believe parents play a vital role, caregivers really play a vital role in the learner. And one of the things that we've worked with our institutions is to help them understand how these tools are being used in ways that help them communicate effectively to their stakeholders. It's about getting the best for the learner and making sure we're doing so in a way that's equitable for every learner and making sure that we're doing it to, uh, to help each learner find their journey, no matter where they are in that learning journey. And some learners may need a little extra support and some learners may not be native speakers of the language. And so they need a little bit of support here. And so. Having a suite of tools that helps each of these learners and being able to help our institutions tell their stakeholders, whether the stakeholder groups can be administrative organizations, right? Like a governance board or a board of regions or a parent group, a stakeholder group like that, or the general public. I think being able to arm them with the information that they have to make effective decisions and to be able to communicate those decisions has really helped them navigate what has been some shift in the dynamics of what the stakeholders play and the success of a learner, but everyone is pointed at the same goal, which is helping that learner be successful. And that's a, a noble place to be. Sure.
0: Any other innovations that came out of the past couple years? I mean, in terms of like, wow, we, we should have been doing it this way all along, or any ways that you've seen schools or districts at the K-12 or at the higher ed level start to begin to use your platform in a way that you may not have intended originally?
1: Yeah. So we've seen, you know, a lot of our collaboration tools, right, really be used heavily because the pandemic created the conditions for which you needed to think about how to collaborate. And as a result of that, some of our institutions have found a lot of success with really scaling collaboration at a global level. We've talked to some of our institutions. We've got students dialed in from many parts of the world and collaborating asynchronously on projects using some of our tools that we have uh, to enable the creation of uh, authentic student work. And so it's been great to see, uh, this expansion of worldviews, right. Be introduced into the learning because it's, it's helping every learner, uh, be more successful, have a broader worldview. And I think it's opened up some possibilities for educators to think about new ways in which to bring projects to life, new ways in which to bring, uh, the introduction of content from another part of the world to life. And so I think that's been, that's been great for education. Yeah. Uh, and it's been fun to see everyone on this journey collectively together. We're all learning, uh, as we've been going.
0: Yeah, it's true. Let's go back to user behavior a little bit. You know, we were forced into the into the full remote in 2020, and then so many conversations about the future of learning and what hybrid was going to mean. And so, you know, in at the K twelve space, you had virtual academies, and then you had some sort of in between. And each district seemed to have their own sort of flavor. Some said, "Forget it, New Jersey." I know it's just like. Nope, we're all going back in person. This almost never happened. In the higher ed space, I keep hearing the phrase high flex now, Mm -hmm. where the students are going in and they have an expectation that this is the way, if I learned this way the past three years, this is the way I'm going to learn going forward. Can you talk about how you've seen those sort of models evolve?
1: Yeah, I think the big beta, right, the largest beta experiment in the world, as you described it, I think two things, two thematic things emerge from it. The first was flexibility, right? I think it introduced the opportunity for folks who might not have otherwise been able to see themselves accessing that education, whether it's a single parent who needed to work around a work schedule, or it was someone who needed to uh, come in and out of learning as their life dictated. It introduced a level of flexibility that folks saw as an opportunity to say, hey, while this might not have been possible before, it is now possible. And I think that high flex that you describe the combination of synchronous and asynchronous learning has opened up the possibilities for folks who might not have otherwise seen that. So I think that's a big thematic uh, opportunity. I think the other thematic opportunity that came out of that experiment uh, of the pandemic learning era, right, is learners who might not have otherwise found success in one mode of learning were finding success in a new mode of learning. It was tailored to the needs of learner variability, which in education has been a theme for a long, long time. Right. And so it really sort of brought to the forefront this idea that variable learning experiences can actually create success for people who need to just learn in different ways. And so I think despite the trials and tribulations of that sort of pandemic learning era, yeah. these two enduring themes have persisted uh, and have really shaped how institutions we work with, educators that we talk to all the time are approaching the work to be able to support variable learning needs of every learner in all these different ways of consumption and being able to support the flexible learning needs of learners everywhere who might move through learning in a different pace at a different cadence, right? In different modes of consumption than they might typically have before. I think both of those are really positive net improvements for learning writ large. And I think, you know, as folks have embraced that despite where you were on the continuum of learning. Everyone sort of adopted uh, the learnings from those two themes into right. the continued learning that you're seeing.
0: Right now, of course, we have a, a wide spectrum of institutions and their how sophisticated or how progressive they are with the use of technology. You know, still in 2023, you can see certain districts and, and certain higher ed institutions that are still kind of, and especially after the past couple of years, just trying to make it through. Mm. Right. What sort of recommendations do you have? For those leaders to where, you know, they must have something, right? But it's maybe it's it's legacy, maybe it was just kind of patched together to get them through. What are the first steps that you would recommend for them to take their systems, take them to the next level?
1: Yeah. Going back to the the thing I mentioned at the start of our conversation, this idea of partnership, right? It starts there. It's partnering deeply with these institutions. And there are some patterns that we see as we work with institutions, but it's really about understanding what that institu- institution's strategic goals are and figuring out what combination of solutions, right? And the solutions may be the technology solutions that the instructor Learning Platform offers. The solution may be implementation solutions, uh, partnering with their institutional faculty, helping them adopt, moving through these these learning modalities, these learning models that we've introduced and being able to provide them guidance, right? So we as a trusted partner are also providing implementation tools and policy guidance, things that these institutions who are navigating wherever they are in that journey and whatever their needs are, being able to tailor that to the individual need of an institution, we found a lot of success with that. And the institutions that we work with will take different journeys. Some have moved very quickly to get to that place and others have said, we want to be measured. We want to start with one grade band or we want to start with one building or we want to start with one college, one school. And others have said, we want to go system wide all the way. And... I think that's one of the beautiful things about the instructor learning platform is that it is incredibly flexible it can meet the needs uh, no matter what those needs are whether those needs are just a fundamental core teaching and learning experience in an lms whether those needs extend into assessment tooling into data tooling even into implementation we've got offerings that help institutions drive adoption help encourage folks to make the change whatever change they're switching from uh, and that change could be a technology solution that they're replacing or that change could be an incumbent state that is in particular technology driven, all of which are enabled right, by this depart- deep partnership and the capabilities and the offerings of the Instructure Learning Platform.
0: Yeah. Now you mentioned tools and we did a pretty good job. I think we've made it about 15 minutes <laughs> without saying it. Yeah. But we have to say it. We have to say <laughs> it. We? AI and the AI tools that have completely overwhelmed taking the oxygen out of any other sort of conversation you're going to have when it comes to ed tech would love to get instructors pov on what it means for your platform what it means for your partners yeah maybe take the temperature between the hype of this is the greatest thing since sliced bread and this is the sure sign of the apocalypse
1: yeah (laughs) where do you fall in between there it's a great question, uh, and it's something that we've been very intentional and very methodical about, right? Because we've seen lots of technology emerge, but core to what we think about first and foremost is being very intentional. We're thinking about the learning first and foremost. And so AI, like every other emerging technology of its past, certainly we want to think about it through that same lens of as an enabler of the learning. So we, we've grounded ourselves first and foremost in the learning. Uh, but like you say, it's, it's hard to throw a rock and not hit a discussion of some kind about AI, and right. so- At least two dozen partners are now AI companies where they weren't a year ago. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And so we, we spend time with our institutional partners. We spent time with educators first and foremost, just listening. What is the thing that is topmost of their mind? What are the things that they're excited about? What are the things that they're anxious about and deeply understand those needs? In fact, uh, we'll be sharing some research, right? We've been uh, running some research around the use of AI and how that helps uh, across a different number of populations from students to educators to administrators but thematically one of the things that's jumped out from the research from every single conversation every single customer panel we've been convening it is generally speaking optimism for what AI is going to bring it's optimism for the role AI is going to play the fundamental shift in in education that's going to be driven so you talk about you know The changes of the last two three four years this is just yet another sort of uh cherry on that cake of of the change that's coming uh and i think really positive change in general is sort of what everyone's pointed to there may be places where there is some anxiety but what folks are looking for is clarity on what it is uh clarity on the intentionality of the use of ai clarity on the intentionality of putting the educator in the center that's the most important thing right ai is a tool like every other technology and so having the educator be at the forefront and having the learning experiences and the learning outcomes be at the forefront is going to allow us to use this technology in an effective way to help advance learning and create all sorts of interesting things, engaging content for learning, engaging ways to deliver content, engaging ways in which to have activities and assignments in the classroom, all of which we can certainly, uh, we can chat more about in the conversations we're having with our partners, but yeah, I think it's, it's positive impact for education and I think folks are Understanding that as, as organizations take the approach we do, which has been intentional with the educator, it creates comfort with our edu- educators as we take a position of safety first and foremost, of the student information we need to protect. Education organizations, our institutions get really comfortable with that. As we talk about equitability, which is a really important theme for them, we've been talking a lot about the role AI needs to play in creating equitable classrooms, equitable learning, and. Paired with that, the role AI can play in actually helping create more equitable learning experiences, all of these thematic areas of being able to be intentional about the educator, being safe with the information, being equitable, have resounded really well with our uh, our customers, with our educators that we've been talking to, and so we're excited about what's bound to be a, the things we're talking about today will probably no longer be true in a week, right? as right. rapidly as AI is. Right.
0: Well, it's amazing because it it just infiltrates every aspect of everything. I mean, if you you go beyond education, right, but then you bring it in there. One of the things I think that has, in my conversations, diffused some of the anxiety is when there's an understanding of what large language models are Mm. and that, you know, what do you have, especially in the higher ed level, that Cornell University decides they're going to develop their own large language model using their own data Mm. and knowing it's like that walled garden then you know then there's much less of a worry in terms of leakage or false information or hallucinations yeah that that that's the one that really kind of freaked me out there for a while and you know
1: that's where you start thinking Star Trek right that's right that's <laughs> right absolutely what will the holodeck generate <laughs> exactly but I think you know that's exactly right and that's why you know safety one of the the key pillars we focus on has been about that exactly that point right is the safety of the information are you keeping it contained are you keeping it walled off from an open model? Are you making sure that queries aren't containing information that you don't want to go into a model? Is that, is that something that is in a great place for the classroom? Is it a great place for the institution? It's thinking about things like privacy, right? So we have been working with our a privacy council made up of customers to think about guidelines for institutions, right? To think about things like privacy. How do we implement AI? How do you create institutional policy for ethical use of AI? And those are the kinds of guidance that our institutions have wanted and needed. Yeah. And it's the role that we've been playing for so long, right, is providing them insight, providing them with tools, providing them with information, connecting them to partners. And so it's a natural extension for us. AI is just another flavor of extending the kind of relationship we've had with our customers and our prospective customers, and really helping them sort of navigate this brave new world right, right. of uh, emerging generative AI. Right. No, I
0: knew the toughest part of this interview was going to be to end it. And mm. There's so much to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> there sure is. And we're getting in. We haven't even gotten into some of the official announcements that this structure has coming out as we're having this conversation before uh, news is breaking. But maybe you know, to kind of finish things up, you can give us a little bit of a horizon thought about you know thinking about the immediate announcements you're going to have over the next couple of days and where your hopes are for the next couple of years, all things being equal. And again, endemic.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We've, we've got some really exciting things that we'll, uh, we'll be announcing in a couple of days here, which will have been announced right by the time uh, we're hearing this, but really we're focusing on those core needs, right? Those core learning needs, making sure that we're continuing to innovate in learning, we keep pace with pedagogy and with technology, right? And so we've just spent a bunch of time talking about the technology component of AI, but making sure that we're thinking about the pedagogy. So lots of innovation in that space. We're thinking a lot about the use of data and how we can make it accessible and make it available to institutions to use in productive and thoughtful ways to help drive learning experiences. You'll hear a lot about our partnerships that we have with lots of other creators of educational solutions. I mentioned that sprawl, but working with them, creating tools for them to help streamline how easy it is to use their tools and working with institutions to help understand how to navigate those tools and of course, we couldn't have a great product announcement without a, a suite of AI offerings it, that would we'll of announcing yeah. things that we've built and things that we are partnering with others to build because they're really focused niches. And all of these things together culminate in strengthening what has been this cohesive platform of products, right? the instructional Learning Platform, and continuing to keep us at the, the top of the uh, educational landscape, which right. is where we uh, enjoy our our position. and. Really helping, focusing on our customers' needs, and making sure that we're continuing that deep partnership that grounds everything we do and reinforces everything we're going to announce in, in the sessions that we uh, we share.
0: All right, we well, have a few bets in in structure AI, new branding, or maybe Canva AI. but those just my own? So we'll we'll do the over under on those to see what happens on Thursday. We'll take those into consideration. <laughs> Well, you go from Twitter to X, and just, <laughs> there's nowhere to go Lots on all of room, that. Right? Right. <laughs> yeah. exactly.
1: But thank you so much for your time and for your insights and looking forward to the rest of the show. Absolutely. I've enjoyed this conversation and yeah, looking forward to uh, looking forward to more. Exciting. Excellent.
0: Next up, Ryan Lufkin, Vice President of Global Strategy, shares some post-pandemic best practices from around the planet, as well as some insights regarding devices, upgrades, and the importance of teacher assistance. Okay, Ryan. Thanks so much for meeting with me today. It's great to see you again. Lee of one good of the great things about being able to do these podcasts now in meet space versus over Zoom, I could see you before. We had a good conversation before. That there really is a difference. I mean, you oh, talk see. about re-
2: yeah. remote learning versus in person. Yeah. this is another example. So you can't beat it, right? Yeah, that's why you know hybrid learning really is the ideal. That yeah. idea that you spend time in person, but you've also got that ability to access your coursework online and your your resources online. Yeah, even interact occasionally on Zoom online, but the in-person is, is hard to replace. Right. Yeah. And as I'm understanding, this is the first in-structure post-COVID. Yeah. We're getting back together. Our last in-person event was in 2019 in Long Beach. And wow. so this is, we've had a couple uh, virtual and then we're back in person and it's it's exciting. You can already kind of feel the excitement that yeah. as people are showing up today. and feels a little bit like a high school reunion of sorts, right? It is. It's, you know, it's funny. <laughs> we had our partner uh, session yesterday and it really was like a high school reunion. The, yeah you know, I've been in ed tech now for over 20 years and the number of people that have either worked with Instructure or I worked with other companies that are here. It seems like when you get into education technology, you really stay. And I think it's because it's such an impactful, meaningful space that I think people get addicted to it. Like you're helping teachers, you're helping students. There's a, Purpose and mission to it that you yes. don't necessarily find in other verticals, and so you see those people year after year changing jobs, maybe moving companies, but yeah. they're really still focused on that same mission, staying in, in yeah. that space.
0: Yeah. And one of the, th- the exciting things for me too was last night uh, meeting some of the partners. Was the international yeah. vibe, and uh, as I said to you last night, it's like you know, when I first got into my uh, first bet and going the first bet was like first my first World Cup match, yeah. Yeah. where it's just like wow, because I'm such a Yank centric, you know, as a lot of Americans are, yeah. it's like well and. Our readers that are and again before the internet before you could track your internet traffic yeah it was like well we're focused on north america and it's like no but there's there's a big wide world out there yeah I, a lot of interesting
2: i stuff. think american companies have a real tendency towards being u.s centric and yeah. it's something we've really strived not to be and you know we were we were talking last night and they, you know that company's from australia this company's from amsterdam this company's from brazil like we really have fostered those partnerships because we understand that you know, even if we are being a, a bit U.S. centric with something, um, there are partners in region that are maybe filling gaps, and you yes. can partner with them to provide exactly what that region needs, and that's always something that our open ecosystem is supported.
0: Yeah. Well, you're around the world. You're looking at these, and you are focused on the strategies for infrastructures yeah. uh,
2: globally. Over the, you know, and again, I'm sick of talking about the pandemic, but it's still kind of. It's still we're we're in the we're in the hangover. You know, in fact, I, I talked to an analyst uh, that was supposed to be here over this week, and she got COVID at a, another vendor conference. So. COVID's not done. We're yeah. still seeing that pop up every once in a while. And that's again, we talk about even though we're in that post COVID world, the need for that technology and and maintaining that level of of use of technology in the classroom is incredibly important. Right. Whether it's natural disaster, whether it's pandemic, yeah, whatever whatever that disruption is, we can't be in a world where again, we're one point five million billion students are, are impacted by an event and are suffer learning loss yeah. because of that. Right. We've got to be prepared. And we have the tools too. So And yeah, because the tools
0: are there and and they were there going into the pandemic, which was helpful and kind of saved as whatever education was over the past three years. What are some of the innovations that you saw of schools both in K-12 and in higher ed around the world doing with your stuff that was uh, particularly innovative that our readers, our listeners might be able to
2: to get some ideas. I mentioned I thought Australia and New Zealand were really well positioned for COVID because they had already moved down the competency-based education path, right? Yes. They were doing more with mastery-based education for K-12 students and things like that so that when we moved into the digital space, it was easier for them to measure potential learning loss and, and how students were doing as part of that. I thought they were... They were well positioned for that. I think some regions were able to set up technology incredibly quickly and, and really have minimized that impact and some, whether it was because of regulations or things like that, struggled a little to move as quickly. And I think we've seen some of that hangover from that. And there's a lot of headlines around learning loss. Yeah. Um, but I think the, the accessibility issue, the access to the internet, access to devices, we saw it in the U S but we saw it globally as well. And we, as we look at how educators or how students actually access their learning materials, Right. a lot of times it's on phone. Right. right. so if you're not designing it for an app or things like that, if you're designing it for a desktop computer, that can be really impactful for students who may not have the resources. So it was one of the interesting things. It was a, so a mixed reaction across the globe, yes. it's, it's, I think there are going to be studies about it for some time on, on how the different reactions, the different approaches to technology will have long-term impact. Absolutely. Now, what about for, again, for our readers and our listeners who probably maybe put together
0: a hodgepodge from the legacy, legacy yeah. management systems when March of 2020 comes, everything goes to Hades, uh, yeah. everybody goes remote, and now they're kind of coming out of it and, um, you know, they're looking at upgrading or maybe making some of yeah. the things they had to do part
2: of their new normal. Do you have any suggestions for them? From this? Yeah, we, we actually see a lot of that, like, with schools saying, you know, we've adopted inconsistently all of these tools now post COVID let's do a real analysis of what we've adopted and maybe keep some of them, ditch some of them, upgrade some of them. And and in canvas was the, the first fully SaaS open source LMS on the market. And that's one of the reasons it grew so rapidly is that it was easy to stand up. It was scalable. Yeah. Uh, and that's why during, during COVID that, that initial back to school in the fall of 2020. We didn't have any major outages. We we were the only LMS that I don't think did, and it's because we didn't have any of the on-prem, highly customized, uh, legacy implementations that a lot of them had. Right. Um, that really suffered under that scale. Yeah. Right? All of a sudden, you're adding four to five times more students in concurrently. Your hardware is not gonna not gonna support that. Yeah. We were designed on AWS to start using their scaling services, and so we were seeing massive spikes in usage, and we were able to. You might have slowed down a little bit, but your system didn't crash. And that was that accessibility, that, uh, that reassurance for educators that that new technology was going to be there was huge. Yeah. And so I think there are, there are institutions that cobbled together approaches and made it through, uh, and that are looking now to say, okay, maybe we need to, we need to move on to the next piece. Um, but that should be SAS. That should be systems that are scalable and work together well through the LTI implementations and things like that. Yeah. If you are still writing custom code to cobble your your different systems together, you're probably going to be in trouble if we run into something like that in the future.
0: Right. Well, now as you look out uh, to the future, right on oh, the horizon here, I mean, there's some such amazing acceleration, I think, oh, yeah. mean, in the adoption and the use of this. I mean, does that spike continue? Does it melt m- off? And also, we've almost been
2: ten minutes, and you or I have not said AI. <laughs> I knew it co- <laughs> it's coming. We, you know. We're- it's like we're tracking how many times people say AI. Uh, exactly. AI has sucked so much of the oxygen out of the room yeah. since December, since ChatGPT yeah. was released, and for good reason. I mean, there's some really valuable, time-saving, powerful uh, applications that we're already discovering, and that will be discovered coming down the pipe. Yeah. Um. It's unfortunate the initial reaction was this is a cheating tool. Let's ban it. Yeah. Right, for a lot of institutions, we've already seen a lot of those bans that were put in place early in 2023 being lifted as they, as they say, you know what? That was a knee jerk reaction. We're gonna, we're gonna step back. We're gonna yeah. train our educators. We're yeah. gonna train you know, really uh, provide guidelines for our students. We're already seeing that happen, but it's, I think there was a stat that like something like a thousand AI apps a day, not in education necessarily, but across the board are being released. Yeah, So that myriad of different tools, I think we're just kind of scratching the surface of, of what it makes sense to be used in education. That's gonna streamline a lot of the tools, a lot of the interactions. The goal should always be, I, I, you know, we talked about there's, there's, we're kind of looking at three pillars intentional. So really focused on the human driven aspects of the classroom and making sure that the software we develop and our partner softwares are focused on that, um, safe. So making sure we're protecting student information, making sure that we're protecting, uh, educator and institution, intellectual property, uh, and then equitable. That's one of the big looming aspects of this is, um uh, not a lot of people are looking at the cost of ai and the the processing cost the the different pieces that could in long term make it less equitable for students to access and we want to make sure we're laying the foundation for that yeah. so i think there's we're seeing a change in what's being adopted where i think we'll we'll continue to see technology you know the the lms is still at that heart of that classroom students need a digital classroom they need to go nowhere to go to start their day they yeah. need a to do list they need a calendar they need to understand what the assignment is. And that's where both inside the classroom and in the digital space, having a consistent LMS is key. And, you know, we talked to our our partners at Google and Microsoft, and it's all about providing that space and, and plugging their tools in to make sure that students can navigate that easily. Now it's about how do we save the educators time. How do we make sure we personalize and deepen the impact with students? And that's where I think we're headed. Yeah. Great. Well, never a dull moment. Never <laughs> ever. You know, it's funny because it's, it's, you you think we're getting back to normal and then we get hit with the next big thing and uh, you know and I think oh, we'll continue to deliver that next big thing and yeah. if you're not comfortable with change i think post covid it's it's a, it's going to be a hard world it's going to be a tough yeah, yeah. but the, but it, it's an exciting you know most of most of the developments um these are tools that we can use to help address problems like learning loss and equity gaps these are if we look at the positives instead of kind of focusing on the negatives yeah it's an exciting time to be in education i agree 100%
0: now, last but certainly not least, CEO Steve Daly on the state of play when it comes to education's biggest learning management system. Steve, thanks so much for My meeting pleasure. with me today. This is uh, really exciting, and thanks for allowing me to tag along here on your show. As you said in your presentation, first in-person event since I don't want to talk about. I don't want to talk about it anymore, but here. the pandemic and, and all the rest yeah. of that. Maybe we just start off talking a little bit. I think you came on in July of 2020. Right. What's it like starting as CEO of a multi billion dollar company in the middle of a pandemic? (laughs) Yeah. It was interesting, right? Because at that point, I don't think
3: we really had figured out the whole remote thing and how to do it. For me, my typical MO when I would start a new job was I'd go, I'd get on the road, right? And I'd go visit and I'd talk to people, I'd talk to employees. The nice thing, I think, about starting in the middle of the pandemic was that I didn't have to travel to meet these people, right? And so everybody's willing to do a Zoom call. So I was able to hit, I think in the first six months, I hit 200 customers yeah. that I was able to go listen to, ask them, you know, ask them what they would do if they were me, as well as probably that many uh, employees as well. So from that perspective, it was it was kind of nice. But as we all know, right, that face-to-face and just not, you know, so there were some some employees that I hadn't met uh, for the whole first year that uh, that I had been CEO. Right. So so yeah, it was challenging from that perspective. Yeah.
0: But at the same time, you have a product, you have a service that essentially, uh, along with the rest of the education industry, and I'm a cheerleader, but um, really did save whatever you want to talk about, what level of education happened. I mean, we could talk about the learning losses Mm -hmm. and the gaps but it's these technologies especially platforms like that that actually maybe were put to the test for the first time as mm-hmm. like the biggest beta test in the world right <laughs> that, that ever occurred yeah you're right what what did you see as you came in and you saw your customers uh the districts and the colleges and the universities using this what what sort of innovations did you see coming out of that that maybe weren't intended before the pandemic or you yeah. see some some things that were happening before like well, well this is when we we no, we should have
3: done. It's a it's a great question. You know, when, when we we have the California Community College system is all standardized on on Canvas, and I was talking to them, and they said, "Look, if if it hadn't been for Canvas and, and Zoom, yeah, right, we would not have been able to meet our charter to to educate rural California, right? There would have been a loss one to two years, right, right, for all of rural California. So that's super rewarding as we think about that, and and the fact that the technology in place like that could have that kind of impact. Yeah, um, but. When we when we were in the heart of the uh, pandemic, our our main focus was let's keep this thing up and running. Yeah, right. We in fact we we carved back uh, as an organization and said, okay, we've got to figure out how we implemented uh, machine learning on the back end so that we could predict loads, right, and, yeah. and ramp capacity before the load hit. We went from I think it was just just over a million concurrent users was our kind of our peak usage to just over six million wow. in the course of. Three months. Mm. Uh, some of the innovations were just those types of things. Let's keep this. Thing, let's allow it to scale. Let's keep it up and running. Make sure it's reliable. Make sure, right? Because you can imagine if if our system goes down during finals when in the pandemic, right, that would be a disaster, right? right? And so, mm. so we we saw a lot of innovation. I think coming out of it, it's now become much more about the student experience, right? And how do we how do we make sure that through technologies like Canvas, some of the partners that we have, we have the best experience for the student, and we can cross through those different modalities, right? So the student is on campus, right, or they're off campus, how do we connect them, right? You, you, can, you can connect in class, you can, you can have a conversation afterwards. How can we create a virtual environment that allows you to do that kind of connections? And so we're putting a lot of effort in how do we create that sense of community, uh, for instance. We a lot of innovations around how do we get real-time feedback into the hands of the teachers as far as learning and where are students along the path uh, of their learning journey. And then how do we give them the ability to kind of change the path for each student? So create different learning paths for different students depending on where they're at. Maybe it's it's something as simple as saying, for this student, I'm going to give them an extra week to complete the assignment. or. Or maybe for, for this segment, it's not going to be worth as many points. Mm-hmm. You know, those types of things, I think, came out of recognizing that when you are teaching remotely and you have the technology in place, you can get a lot of feedback that's hard to consume as a human being. But when you have that feedback at your, at your fingertips, right, because the technology is, is where you're using to deliver, yeah. mm-hmm. then we can start to help teachers take some of that cognitive load off teachers and help them in figuring out how to help individual students.
0: Have you noticed a difference when you talk about the teachers and you talk about the users and, and user behavior mm-hmm. and the, the pivots that we all had to make uh, during the pandemic? Is there still any resistance? I mean, so before the pandemic, especially you know when you're looking at higher ed, I think as much as K-12, you have professors yeah. who would say, this is the way I've always done it for 30 years. Don't give me this stuff. Yeah. I don't need this stuff. This is how I do it. March 2020 comes along and they need to yeah, use it whether you <laughs> like it or not, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, do you think there's a kind of an overall change? Do we not have to convince users to subscribe to LMSs? Yeah,
3: I think it's the normal distribution, right? There's On, on the tail, there's the group that is like, I had to do it during the pandemic. I'm going back yeah. to the way I did it before. That's a pretty small group, right? Yeah. Um, uh, I think what we're seeing is a, a couple of things happen is, is one, I think tragedies of the of the pandemic was there were a number of teachers that you know opted out, right? They finally no. said, "I'm done," yeah. right? So so you had the, you had a cohort that left teaching, and now we're trying to backfill that with new teachers, right? And we're trying to catch up, but what we're finding is that teachers that are coming out of school and coming into the teaching profession, right? They've grown up now with this technology, right? But they've used Canvas when they were in. The K twelve system, right? They used it when they were in college, and now they're coming in and they're saying, "Look, this is how I learned. Right? Right? I'm not going to go, you know, you know, stack this four drawer file cabinet at the back of my classroom with all the lesson plans. Right? Right? I'm used to having all this online. I'm used to being able to say, okay, for this semester, we're going to start on this day, and allowing it to, you know, my all my syllabus is updated, all that kind of stuff. So, so we're seeing actually just this kind of move in general as as new teachers come into the fold. Um, towards the use of technology because that's their digital natives. They're, right, they're raised on it. Right, uh, and then you're right. There was there was a I was meeting with a a middle school teacher about a month ago, uh, and she came up and said, "Look, she she had left teaching to go raise a family. She came back. She was late 40s, early 50s when she came back, and she said, my 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 district was all in on Canvas. Right, and she said I was super intimidated. Yeah. And, and scared. But she said since I took the time to kind of understand, I would never go back. The amount of time that I've saved, right? The, the ease, and then most importantly, she taught a leadership and a mindfulness class, and she said, "I can, I can reach students wherever they're at, right? They may not be able to show up to class, but I can still touch them through the the LMS, and that was for her the most
0: rewarding part of it.
3: Right? Was that she could meet them, meet the student where they're at with right. with her, with what she's trying to teach them.
0: So we get through the, the literal pandemic wave, and things start to kind of get back to normal. And then we're about 12 or 13 minutes into this interview, but neither of us has said <laughs> AI yet. But right. so, well, it's pretty good. It's almost a record. Uh, right, um, but then we So then we have this other thing that has just taken the oxygen out of the room and spans the spectrum of this is the best thing since sliced bread to this is the sign of the apocalypse. Right. Hey, There's going to hey. be no more... Again, Back, no more learning is going to happen. Right, we're back yeah. to this whole thing about their you know, teachers being replaced by robots or machines, or you know, this is kind of the, the the weird science fiction thing. Um, talk a little bit about where you see instruction on that spectrum, and yeah. like, and because I mean, you will have influences mm-hmm. over how these things are applied, you yeah. and your partners. No, a hundred percent. You know,
3: I think um, we we've we've kind of walked through the spectrum with our customers. Right, the, the initial reaction was, oh no. Right. Yeah. Gonna, everybody's going to cheat. Right. Right. It's going to be you know the tool that they're going to use to cheat. Nobody's going to learn anything ever again. Type of thing. The the reality is, people could use it to cheat, but people could use Google. People right. could use
0: the calculator that you had. The, the oh, calculator. Really,
3: I couldn't right. I could put right, my that. programs in there. The reality is, and the best way I've heard it is, we were meeting with Miami Dade College, and the the provost there, she said, "Look, these tools are available." Rather than fight them, we got to figure out how we uh, alter our teaching in a way that understands that they're going to use these tools. Yeah, they're going to use it when they get in the workforce. So why wouldn't we teach them how to use it as part of the educational process? Right. So, um, so I do think that it's going to be an accelerant to innovation for the ed tech community as a whole because there were some kind of sticky problems like how do you how do you really tutor a student that needs help. And we we kind of approached it in two ways. We say we're going to throw humans at it. Yeah. We're going to tutor, right? Or we create these systems that have the answers to questions and, you know, you subscribe to them and you get you get the answers. You know, some people could cheat with them or they could use them to learn, but it was like an all or nothing, yeah. right? And so I think these systems and the way they architected um, will allow us to use technology to create these tutors that will allow it to scale, yep. right? It allowed that district that doesn't have the money to go pay a tutoring company uh, or pay tutors, get uh, humans to do that, to be able to do that through technology. So I think it's actually going to create some more equitable access yep. for students across the across the board. I do think there's some chance to abuse it, yep. but, but really uh, content creation is going to become much simpler. Right? That's a super manual, very intensive process. We're going to use it because we, we create item banks of, of content aligned against against standards we're going to be able to use the the technology to to take some of those item bakes and go across the country right and align yeah. them to every standard across there which used to be a just huge a very intense you know human intensive process and we can simplify some of that right it won't be I mean we'll still have our psych, psychometricians right we'll still have the people. To make sure that you know and, and manage that, but uh, yeah. it will allow us to scale much faster. So I'm super optimistic. Yeah, I think in the next five years, you're going to see the amount of innovation that's coming out of the edtech community is going to accelerate dramatically. And uh, so I, I am I'm a I'm a fan. Yeah. Um, as long as we do it, you know, with an eye that you can't you can't sacrifice privacy, for instance, right. right? In pursuit of you know really cool technology, right? And and as long as we're intentional about it, I think we're we're going to see some really cool stuff.
0: But then you have an extra layer of responsibility almost as the the public utility. So when you look at 250 partners, I think you said, that, that were here today, but there's that a We're four, here today. 800. 850 yeah. plus partners yeah. that are integrating. Is there some sort of vetting process that goes on with that in terms of the technologies that are used that, that can be used on the platform? I mean, I think, uh, you know, just controversy, say, surrounding Course Hero is one where it's just trying to figure out what's right or what's wrong. I mean, it's just another kind of dilemma that happens with new technologies, right? Where, from your point of view, where does that responsibility land on instructor? structure? So, um, you know, I, I don't think we should be judge and jury for some of these
3: technologies, but I do think we can provide the visibility to the decision makers. So, yeah. so you know, part of, with our acquisition of Learn Platform, they have a storefront and essentially there's a, a vetting process that goes through, right? And says, these are our security policies. These are our Privacy policies, policies, etc., and they get qualified against those things. So we can publish and say, you know, this vendor, this is just so you know, this is this is what their their privacy looks like. This is what their security looks like, right? Okay. This is what their accessibility looks like, right? And so our goal is to create a place where you know administrators, where educators can go and get the information that they need to make the decision about whether or not they want to allow that into their. Okay. To our ecosystem. Okay. Rather than to say, you know, what I don't think Coursera, Coursera should be here in our marketplace. Right.
0: Right. I mean, we don't so want a to be, little bit of Apple know, Store, like at the Apple App Store, kind of, kind of to that. Right. Like a little bit of Common Sense Media, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
3: Yeah. We think, that, and and you know, as we talk to particular higher ed institutions, right? They they've got these armies of people that are that's their whole job is just to try to vet some of this, sure, for privacy, security, accessibility, and so. We think we can take some of that load off of them, yeah, and help kind of get some quality. You know, and, and every institution is going to have their own requirements, but there is a base eighty
0: percent that everybody agrees to has to happen. So we we got AI out of the way, yeah. When we look at the feedback, it was some incredible numbers that you were talking about in terms of survey results right. and in the millions from folks. What would you say are the biggest worries or challenges amongst the folks in, in terms of those responses and how? Do you see the structure responding to those? Yeah, you know, I think that
3: the challenge for education right now is people are starting to question whether or not the outcomes that we're seeing out of education meet what we believe are the needs, right, as society. And I think that manifests itself in a couple couple symptoms, right? In higher ed, we're seeing declining enrollments. Mm -hmm. Some of that's demographic. But, you know, when you look at the data that says, you know, the number of graduating seniors that are not going to go pursue a four-year degree... You look at the number of states that have said for your for all of our entry level jobs at the state we're not going to require a degree, right? I think that's a symptom of the fact that we're saying th- that the value of that degree is not meeting what I need in the in the workforce. For right. That's right. right. Um, I think there's a similar you know a similar symptom is showing up within within the K twelve system. Right. Is are we preparing our kids? Are we teaching them the things that they need in order to be successful when they finish that? their senior year. And so we're I'm seeing a lot of educators asking the question, how do we how do we go after those students and how do we how do we help them in their educational journey in the way they want to be helped, right? And not in the way that we've done for the last 800 1200 years. Uh, so I see a lot of you know I'm 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 actually um, I see that as a as a challenge. I, I'm also optimistic that the education community is rising to the challenge and meet that right. We're seeing a lot of institutions at the higher in the higher ed that are looking at okay how do I how do I get to that non traditional student right? How do I create evidence of progress without the only evidence being a bachelor's degree right? That diploma right? So how do I create credentials or certificates and how do I stack those and how do I how do I reach that student? We're seeing the same thing in K twelve system. How do I get them ready? How do I, either you know, concur the number of concurrent enrollment programs, right, is 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 on the rise. We're seeing um, how do I prepare that student that's that's not going to go to college, right? Which which used to be what I thought about, you know, get them on to take the SAT, get them to graduate, get them get them into school. Um, so again, I think I think we can play a role as that because you know that one of the advantages we have as in structure is we are in about a third of all US school districts we're in almost 40% of all US higher ed institutions we have a lot of students that their entire educational journey is with canvas mm-hmm. right and being that kind of system of record as they go through this thing i think we have an opportunity to bring together the right technologies at the right time through either our own or through you know our partner system to meet the needs of those of every student on their lifelong journey of learning and, and that's what's super exciting for us. That's, that's the role we think we can play is, is to be that common infrastructure that everybody uses as they're going through that educational journey uh, and be the system record right. right as they go through that.
0: Which makes a lot of sense now when I hear the news about the ASU Thunderbird program and 100 million learners, that you can kind of be the, the, yes. the, the structure for that. <laughs> the structure
3: that yeah, yeah, the structure that allows them to extend that to, you know, to an underserved population.
0: And there you have it. Big thanks to the folks at Instructure for allowing me the time to tag along and learn from its educators and partner vendors. Again, Zoom and Teams are great, but nothing replaces the chance to meet and speak to people in person. Now, keep your ears open for the next Innovations in Education podcast that will be coming to your feed soon.